Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Well, our president, commander-in-chief, chief Twitterer, chief twit, some might say, has been engaging in a roller coaster of executive celebrity for some time now. And he has subscribed to some ideas and positions which, in and of themselves, are a tremendous improvement over what has been transpiring, what has been being foisted upon the people of the United States of America and this nation for many years, lo, these many years. However, he is suffering from not being fit for the office. Not to say that he's evil, which, in my opinion, is the case of various others' aspirants to the office and uh, some who have held that esteemed, lofty position. I don't believe that the Donald is evil. I could be wrong, but I don't believe so, have not believed so. But I do believe that his competency is short of where it should be, of what we should be able to expect from a president. Now, that's not to say that his competency is beneath that of various other presidents that we have suffered under during recent times. No. But here in the last program that... I provided, I referred to the Scaramouche. Well, the Scaramouche is no longer there. Anthony Scaramucci, who was brought in at the behest of the Donald's daughter Ivanka and her hubby, Jared Kushner, brought in at their behest, really as a hitman, you might say, to remove the likes of Anthony Priebus and Sean Spicer, Sean Spicer, who, in my opinion, never should have been in a position at the White House, but to force them out, which he succeeded in doing immediately, but who was, I'm sure, in the view of some, just an intermediary, a go-between, a conduit, someone, a stopgap person to force out those whom the president, the commander-in-chief, was unwilling to remove himself. I have no reason to believe that Reince Priebus 
should have been removed. Reince Priebus was in such large part responsible for this president becoming this president. And yet, was treated, I think, woefully in his time as chief of staff. Was prevented from doing his job, from fulfilling his mission. And then forced out. Now to be replaced by retired General John Kelly. And I personally cannot imagine that this president will be able to remain on good terms with this chief of staff for any length of time. I just can't, based on how this president operates and those around him. And Ivanka and Jared have such enormous sway with this president. Enormous sway in this administration. And that has been questioned (laughs) prior to this president taking office and all the time that he has been president. And it's not to say that they are not intelligent, talented people. Certainly successful But then you have to look at how they have achieved their success, particularly Jared Kushner, whom seemingly the president views as a chip off the old block, even though he is not a son, but merely a son-in-law. But it was their doing that Anthony... Scaramucci, the Scaramouche, was brought on board to be there for a week and a half. A week and a half before being fired by new chief of staff John Kelly on his first day as new chief of staff. While John Kelly performed the act of firing the Scaramouche, this was with the approval of the Donald, uh, the chief Twitterer in the White House. Anthony Scaramucci, you don't need to feel sorry for him. He's a man of tremendous wealth and influence, and he performed the duty that he was brought in to do. If he had done it ever so much more diplomatically, perhaps he would still be there, but he still would not be the choice, the selection of John Kelly. So chances are he would be on his way out sometime in the near future. As compared to having already departed uh, his post his one-and-one-half-week post at the White House. That has to set some sort of record, I would think, but there are those who have been named to posts, to positions, and then have backed out of them before actually taking office. So I suppose those would be briefer.
Regardless who serves the president, serves at his pleasure as his new communications director, and who serves as his press secretary, currently the daughter, a daughter of Mike Huckabee, a woman whom I believe is doing an exceptional job performing yeoman's service to our president. Regardless whom John Kelly selects, the critically important decision-making roles are those of the president and those who have his ear. And normally, those posts, those advisors, consultants to the president, that have the greatest influence, that hold the greatest sway, normally they are those with the top billing, the top titles. Unless they happen to be serving in some sort of adjunct kitchen cabinet, which Ronald Reagan was famous for making use of, something like that, a brain trust (laughs) Typically, the brain trusts have been from the halls of academia, the ivory palaces. But whether the president pays greatest heed to those such as his new chief of staff, or whether it happens to be a new communications director or a lowly press secretary, (laughs) lowly only in you know, relation to uh, those with bigger titles. That's not important where they happen to be in the flow chart. What matters is what advice they're giving. What is the tenor of it? What is the quality of it? And what decisions does he arrive at? Either independent of the advice he's receiving or in concert with the advice he's receiving or decisions that he reaches in some sort of collegial fashion or what have you. What's important are the decisions he reaches. And right now he has a military man as his chief of staff. This is highly unusual. It was the case with Alexander Haig and formerly, and now is the case with John Kelly. Hopefully, General Kelly will provide outstanding service to the president. But even if he does, that doesn't mean that the president will make particularly good use of it. But chief of staff, depending on the personal relationship with the president, is not normally so much an advisor as a manager, an administrator. It's up to the president to decide whom he will pay greatest attention to, whom he has the greatest confidence and trust in, and what decisions he will arrive at. I personally believe that those decisions will be made, a great many of them made, 
along the lines of what Ivanka, his daughter, his beautiful daughter, and her hubby, Jared Kushner, happened to advise him. And that (laughs) uh, does not particularly fill me with confidence of a good result. But at the same time, I have no confidence in the the wisdom of this president. As I've mentioned previously, going back to the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I didn't come up with that. I didn't make that up. I didn't get that from some great thinker out there. It's that is independent from (laughs) God's kingdom. No, this comes directly from God's word. It's that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the end all and be all, the beginning. So absent the fear of the Lord, there is not the tiniest modicum of godly wisdom. There is no beginning of wisdom. Donald Trump is devoid of the fear of the Lord, as was his predecessor and so many other predecessors. So that does not bode well for this nation, even though a great many Christians and conservative Christians, fundamental Christians, did not only vote for him, but support him in other ways. And I certainly do not blame them for voting for him or even supporting him in other capacities. What was the alternative, after all? But what I would say, what I have said and what I would say, is that there is no reason for people to get so enthusiastic about their perceived coming results as far as what is going to transpire. Thus far, it's been a hodgepodge. It's been a potpourri. But if you look at the substance of what's transpiring, what's going on, the results certainly have been preferable to what we received from the previous president, and from what we would have received from she who would be president. The situation with regard to North Korea, however, only devolves, only gets worse. This idea that patience is always a virtue. I know from my own life that patience can, in fact, uh, backfire very badly. Waiting and waiting can backfire very badly. A former president who was a good and godly, righteous, God-fearing man. Silent Cal, Calvin Coolidge, I'm not going to be quoting him here because I don't have the quote handy. 
But he said something to the effect, so I am paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect that he didn't believe in dealing with problems basically before they arrived because the vast majority of the time they would go off some other direction before actually having to be dealt with, becoming actionable as such. When we hear about actionable intelligence, intelligence that can be acted upon, intelligence meaning not the intellect of a person, but the fruit of intelligence gathering by our intelligence services and so forth. But Silent Cal believed in taking a very measured, patient approach to things. He let the trouble come to him. And if it finally got to him, then the buck would stop there. Uh, Taking that from Harry Truman. But then he would deal with it. But there are so many things that need to be dealt with to use that term that used to be so popular, proactively. Hmm? There are things which must be dealt with sooner than later. So often things escalate, go from bad to worse if they are left alone, if they are not addressed, if they are not dealt with. There certainly are other matters that, it turns out, are better left alone, not meddled with, not interfered with, if you will. But the situation with regard to North Korea is one like unto the situation with Iran in years gone by right up to the present, where this matter of just taking a wait-and-see approach happens to be the worst approach possible. Israel is well-versed in having to deal with what has transpired as a result of the United States government's foreign policy. In the case of Syria, over a span of many, many, many years, decades, and Iran, and Iraq, to name but a few. And where we, as the British before us, allow circumstances to degenerate and to become toxic and extremely, extremely dangerous for the safety, for the security of Israel, of the people of Israel. And Israel has had to extraordinarily courageously act with its back, not against the wall, but against the Mediterranean Sea and against all odds and with missions that are all but suicidal in order to try to stave off certain destruction. Well, the situation 
with North Korea is akin to that. And whether you view North Korea as an independent player, a rogue regime, uh, under the control of a mad hatter, or whether you happen to view it as a player within a group, an axis of evil, if you will, or whether you happen to view it as a controlled state of communist China or Putin's Russian regime or, as I do, of both communist China and Russians, Russia's current regime, which in some respects differs from the Soviet regime which preceded and in some respects is remarkably similar. Regardless what your view of North Korea with those regards, you should realize that the danger posed by the North Korean regime under the leadership of Kim Jong-un, I know that's not the proper pronunciation, but it is my preferred pronunciation, that the danger posed increases daily. And when I say daily, I don't mean minimally daily. I don't mean microscopically daily. I don't mean slowly. I On a daily basis, just gradually. I mean exponentially on a daily basis. So now... Our experts have determined that North Korea can strike the United States of America in a great many locations, perhaps any location, between California and Illinois. That's what we're talking about, half of the United States of America. It was only a matter of a two weeks ago or so, when experts here in the United States of America stated that, yes, this was troubling about what at that point in time was the latest intercontinental ballistic missile test by North Korea, that it was troubling because it gave evidence, it gave proof of capability that they had dismissed prior to that that it showed beyond a shadow of a doubt that North Korea could, in fact, in point of fact, strike Alaska with nuclear warheads, with missiles with nuclear warheads. But now that's been upgraded. Okay. So I don't know if, if that goes from orange to red alert, you know, on this scale that is used for such things. But now, just weeks later, just weeks later, those same experts are saying, well, this latest ICBM test from the other day 
gives proof that North Korea can reach essentially half of the United States with nuclear warheads. Now, Kim Jong-un, the modest, humble fellow that he is, uh, has stated that North Korean missiles armed with large-sized, heavy nuclear warheads can reach all of the United States of America. And that may be a slight exaggeration, but given the increase that we have seen within the last few weeks, it certainly should give pause as to whether that statement may become a reality within another several weeks or so in terms of North Korea's capability being ramped up to that extent that it will be able to touch, reach out and touch any part of the United States of America. But as it stands right now, here at the beginning of August... The experts, who of course are unfailingly wise, but even <laughs> even when their wisdom is deficient or they are devoid of wisdom, nonetheless they are expert in matters pertaining to military measures military actions, military capabilities, what rockets can do, how far they can fly, where they can reach to. And they are currently stating that North Korea can reach Illinois. Illinois. (laughs) And just bare weeks ago, it was Alaska. So I think we should perhaps consider that further waiting may not be the prudent thing to do. Now, do you remember back when Mad Dog Mattis, you know, the title uh, that he is, one title that uh, James Mattis is famous for and which the president was so fond of and named him by when he announced his nomination. Um, Do you remember back when he stated something to the effect that a military solution to North Korea would be catastrophic? And he didn't mean for North Korea. He meant for the United States of America and the United States of America's allies for the allies there in the Pacific Rim, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, and so forth. He said it would be catastrophic. Well, even if that is true, even if that is reasonable to think that a so-called military solution may be extremely dangerous. What is the danger level of no response, of no military response? 
of just waiting until North Korea can ramp up its ICBM production and its nuclear warhead production and fire off how many other ICBM tests and gain knowledge and expertise from that. How much more catastrophic a result might there be if the United States of America declines to opt for a military solution? Well, this again is like the situation with Iran. And where the United States of America put Israel in such an impossible situation as it did with Syria and where Israel had to send pilots on all but suicide missions to knock out nuclear facilities. And most recently with regard to Israel's operations against Iran where they used technological means to cause fits for the Iranian regime. But but Iran has uh, recovered very nicely from that. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In case you missed the introduction... I am the one you can blame for this program. (laughs) If there's anything that you hear in it that is praiseworthy, well, that that is thanks to God. If it is, if there's anything that is the opposite of that, that's that's thanks to me. So, again, there are many people who will insist that the United States just does not dare take military action against North Korea. People who view North Korea as a mere rogue regime and will insist that we must not be provoked into taking some action. If it is just some sort of shot over the bow, I'd say that's very dangerous indeed. Shot over the bow may very well lead to a reaction which is not over the bow. But This idea that putting our head in the sand, sitting on our hands, proverbially, insisting on more sanctions, more economic sanctions against North Korea, that that's the route to take. Well, the fruit of such terribly wise recommendations 
by the time we have received information on the results of following such advice, (laughs) it will be too late. And again, with each passing day and week, this situation becomes more dire. My concern as far as taking action militarily against North Korea is for the North Korean people themselves, especially the Christian populations who have been enslaved and are being worked to death under monstrous, monstrous draconian conditions and being starved to death at the same time and frozen to death and what have you, or uh, killed by heat, depending on the time of year. But disease allowed to flourish among them in concert with extreme malnourishment and malnutrition and extreme harsh labor for having committed the terrible crime of having owned a Bible, read portions of a Bible, held a Bible, looked at a Bible, things like that. Things which are viewed by the Mad Hatter of North Korea and the previous Mad Hatters of North Korea as being crimes most foul against the state. But my concerns are for the North Korean people, the South Korean people, the South Korean people constituting as heavily Christian a nation as as there is on the face of the earth. and within virtual stone's throw of North Korea. And beset by North Korea's massive military. And my concerns for the Japanese people, for the Chinese people of Taiwan, for the people and Guam, and Okinawa, and so forth. But I do not believe for one single solitary moment that North Korea is an independent actor. I know it is not. And while I believe that it is imperative that North Korea, the military regime the communist, vicious, ruthless, bloody communist regime of Kim Jong-un, that it be dealt with effectively, and dare I say immediately, even though immediately is belated, very, very, very badly belated. At the same time, I am absolutely convinced that North Korea is merely 
a satellite, a slave state of communist red China, and Putin's Russian regime. And I believe it will be used principally to draw out the United States. As far as sending in troops, <laughs> that would be catastrophic, uh, to quote James Mattis, Defense Secretary. That would be catastrophic, to send in troops. But to do everything possible to knock out all of nuclear facilities throughout North Korea, which are principally, principally focused near the communist Chinese border. It's very touchy, very touchy, because it is something that could easily be interpreted as an attack on communist China, even if communist China was not in charge of North Korea. Could easily be misperceived, misconstrued. And the reason for the location of North Korea's nuclear facilities and ICBM treasure troves is to shelter them, to protect them from attack. And certainly it would be an exceedingly difficult thing to take them all out. But the alternative is to permit North Korea this evil communist regime to continue at breakneck speed to mass-produce intercontinental ballistic missiles which have now been successfully tested to the tune of the experts stating that they can reach Illinois in the center of the United States of America. So... uh, Definitely one of those darned-if-you-do-darned-if-you-don't scenarios reminds me of the last presidential election we had. (laughs) But invariably in these particularly excruciating decision matrices that we have, choosing between option A, which is horrible, and option B, which is horrible, and maybe option C, which is horrible, and maybe option D, which is horrible, and on it can go. Typically, one or more of those choices are demonstrably worse than the others, as was the case with Hillary Rodham Clinton or Donald Trump. And we know, no matter what the experts tell you to the contrary, it is an absolute certainty that with each passing day and each passing week, North Korea will have more intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of at least reaching the west coast of the United States of America. 
and apparently reaching as far as the middle of America and very likely in the very near future being able to reach all of the United States of America. With each passing day and each passing week, their war chest increases, as well as their nuclear warheads that are being produced. So, what is the reasonable thing to do about that? Sit back and hope for the best? There are those who would insist that that is the thing to do. And I am not beating the drum saying, oh, how glorious war is and we should you know, engage with North Korea. No. No. War is closer to hell than it is to heaven most times, most often. But that's not to say that it's never necessary. In fact, when the Lord Jesus returns, he will return as triumphant Lord and King, even as previously he was the suffering son of Nazareth and Jerusalem, who yielded himself for the likes of you and I to suffer in our place. So when he comes back, it's as conqueror. Those who insist the war is always wrong. It's always evil. They are the ones who also insist that it's always wrong and evil to defend your family and loved ones, to defend yourself, to just, you know, much better to stand back and just let the destruction come. (laughs) Much better to not lift a little finger to defend your sweethearts, your children, your family and loved ones, your neighbors, strangers, whomever. Much better. Leave it to the professionals. (laughs) Uh, Leave it up to the professionals, the ones who become panic-stricken at the slightest thing or nothing and begin shooting at point-blank range at unarmed people or people that are legally armed per the laws of the various states of the United States of America, but people who are not aggressors, people who pose no threat, much better to leave it to the experts. So, so here, this is in the hands of the experts, the hands of the President of the United States of America. Also, those of his capable top people, those like his new chief of staff, John Kelly, his defense secretary, James Mattis, and his other generals and admirals and non-military 
experts. It's in their hands what will be done. But it is an extremely difficult situation not to minimize the gravity of it at all. But just to say that sitting and waiting is an extremely questionable tactic. (laughs) Extremely questionable tactic. And this idea that, well, you know, Kim Jong-un, he just, he's misunderstood. He just, he just wasn't loved enough as a child. Whatever kinds of things they want to come up with. We need to build up his self-esteem. I've got news for you. He has massive self-esteem. It shouldn't be possible, but he does. This murderous, monstrous excuse of a leader of a nation. And it's a tragedy for North Korea. It's a tragedy for the North Korean people. But North Korea has been enslaved by, has been a servant of communist China going back to the Korean War. The Korean War, which never really ended, which goes on yet, and has been, likewise, a satellite then of the Soviet Union, now of Putin's regime. How that is possible, I know it's supposedly impossible, impossible, utterly unthinkable, unimaginable, and yet communist China and the Soviet Union both fought against the United States of America in the Korean War, as they did in the Vietnam War, which really was Korean War number two, as I've mentioned before. And whatever happens here with regard to Korea, which really should be one independent, free, God-fearing nation. Instead, there is the Christian, the dominant Christian presence in South Korea. And there is the communist North Korea. Communist North Korea and a very heavy Christian presence in South Korea. And South Korea now has opted for a leftist government, dare I say leftist regime, which is bent on negotiating with North Korea. I understand people taking this view that war is an unthinkable choice because it's going to result in massive destruction and casualties. I understand that. But to kid oneself, to fool oneself, to deceive oneself, to be in such gross denial as to imagine 
that you can make peace with those who are bent on your destruction is folly. Whether that happens to be South Korea with reference to North Korea, whether that happens to be the United States in the good old days with reference to the Soviet Union, whether that happens to be with Israel and all of its Arabic neighbors, their Islamist neighbors who are bent, hell-bent on their destruction, on their elimination, on their annihilation, or whether it happens to be a family besieged by home invasion monsters, whether it happens to be a young woman who's confronted by a vicious satanic predator on the streets in a parking lot in her home or where have you. There are situations, circumstances that demand a response of violent aggression, if you will, in order to have a chance of surviving. And the nicer, the kinder, the sweeter, the more believing, those who are looking for the good in everybody, those who are wanting to believe the best of everybody, those who want to be peaceful and to get along and to be at peace with everybody, they are in the greatest danger during these circumstances because it is so hard for us to respond aggressively and violently even when faced with murderous aggression from absolute destroyers. I don't know what to expect from this administration, this presidential administration. I don't care about all the nonsense with Twitter at all hours of the day and night that this president chooses to engage in. As long as he can do his job and do it well, He can engage in all manner of foolishness like that that he cares to. But insofar as it impacts on his ability to do his job, I take a dim view of it. He is our social media president, our celebrity president. But apart from all of the foolishness and vanity and all this nonsense, not that that's something new, predecessors have been exceedingly vain. But apart from all of that, what it really comes down to is what are the actions that he takes on behalf of this nation to protect the people of this nation and thereby to protect the people of the so-called free world. That's what matters above all. 
And no matter how embarrassing or silly or goofy or nonsensical various accoutrements may be, what is all important is that the right things are done on behalf of this nation. And what has concerned me from, not from day one, but from well before day one, is that I have had extreme difficulty perceiving him as a man capable of doing the right things because I do not perceive him being a man of godly wisdom because he's not. I'm Brad Thomas. This is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.